Well, we are uh, uh, coming toward the, the end of 40 days, 40 days where we've been focusing on, on the, the power and the, the potential and the, the, the privilege of prayer. And I know we've gotten lots of feedback from folks that have just been engaging in that as how God's been using this uh, journey to, to stretch you, to challenge you, to teach you some new things, and very excited uh, to hear about the different ways that God has used that. As I get to bring one more message uh, in this series, I I wanted to take some time and focus on what I think is a very important topic because all of us will eventually deal with this. Uh, And that is just this whole question of when God says no. And I, I am firmly convinced, and you've been reading, you've been interacting with the scriptures, we've been talking about it from the platform and the group of video teaching uh, through the individual uh, times of uh, scripture and prayer. The, the Bible is, is filled. The Bible is filled with all of these powerful promises of prayer, uh, the, the potential of prayer, the, the, the things that God does in and through our lives through prayer. It's filled with powerful and encouraging examples of prayer. Uh, men and women who have seen God move powerfully in prayer. And certainly there's lots of commands and admonitions to pray. And, and while all of that is, is absolutely true, uh, when we talk about the fact that, that God doesn't always answer the way that we want him to. And the rub sometimes comes in when God answers no. Because when God answers no, and it's a legitimate answer, it raises a whole host of questions, doesn't it? And I know for many of you here, this is not just Bible study banter. This is not just theological, let's kick it around. This is what you have lived or maybe where you are living right now. I know for me, this is not just merely academic. But I have had those seasons of life where you have prayed your heart out. And the answer was no. Many of you are aware of parts of my story. Many of you are part of that story. My first wife, Wendy, contracted pancreatic cancer. Many of you joined us in crying out passionately uh, in prayer, asking God for a healing. Had some folks that came up and just told me with great confidence, they just knew, they knew that God was going to heal her. And 95% of the things that we got and received from folks were so wonderful, so kind, so gracious, uh, so blessed to be a part of a church family like this, uh, so encouraging and on target. And there's always a few, Right? <laughs> And I had some, I guess some of it's part of just maybe being a little bit of the, the public nature of the position, but got a few anonymous notes along the way that were less than helpful. <laughs> and some were hurtful, so they were judgmental. And some of them were pretty cruel. Haven't ever really talked about any of those with anybody. Some were well-intentioned, I think. But the effect was challenging because they pointed to if you would just listen to so-and-so's teaching, if you would just claim this word of faith, 
Some even anonymously send some DVDs of, uh, of messages and teachings that if you just kind of would, you know, do this, that, that then this would happen. And that's kind of what's taught in a lot of kind of American Christianity, isn't it? And I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. I think they were by and large well-intentioned even in, in, in those efforts. But you know, sometimes when you get those, and sometimes when you listen to some of those teachings and you're staring right in the face of no, it just raises a ton of questions, doesn't it? And one of the questions it raises is, is there something wrong with my faith? Is there something deficient with my faith? And my guess is I'm not the only one who's ever asked that question, right? And then you read scriptures, and sometimes certain scriptures kind of even seem to fuel that a little bit, right? Hebrews 11.6 is one of those we've been studying and looked at several times in this series. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And you pick up the Bible and you read that verse in context. In Hebrews 11, some of you know, is, a, is kind of a listing of heroes of the faith. It's kind of a hall of fame, if you will, of, of men and women of the faith. And it talks about Abraham and Enoch and Sarah and Moses and Joshua and on and on and on the list goes. And as you continue to to read, you, you come across uh, verse 32, uh, and what more shall I say? Uh, words would fail, for time would fail to tell about Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection what's wrong with my faith but don't stop reading there because he goes on some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, now here's the phrase, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. God's answer wasn't a, a rescue in this life. There was something yet to come. Yes, God does miraculous things in answer to prayer. But sometimes you cry out, and even though you are commended by your faith, you get stoned. You get sown in two. You see, sometimes it takes more faith to endure than it takes to escape. Sometimes faith is more on display, not with a miraculous escape, and we're going to look at one here in just a moment, but with the strength to endure, to walk in continued faith and obedience to God. 
And my hope today is to maybe stretch you, to think beyond pop Christianity, beyond sometimes what gets hoisted on the the American public in the name of faith, and to think scripturally about this question. And I want us to, to look at a couple of key scriptures, and we'll look at several others, and then we'll talk about what do I do when God says no. The first scripture I want us to consider is Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, there is what I call the surprise answer to prayer. Let me set the stage for you as, we, as you turn there. Uh, uh, Herod is the king. This is post-resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is going forth in power. James, the brother of John, had been arrested. He had been killed with the sword. Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, so he arrested Peter also and planned to bring him out and basically follow the same pathway. Verse 5 tells us, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So far, so good. They're crying out with an earnest prayer. But what we see is it wasn't necessarily marked by the greatest or the most stellar, perhaps, of faith. The night before Peter is to be taken out, an angel of the Lord comes and wakes him up and says, get up quickly, and the chains fall off his hands, and he, he dresses himself, and he, he, he is led out. Let's pick it up in verse 9, and he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened uh, for them of their own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. I mean, Peter wasn't even sure. It's not like he was really expecting this. He kind of thought it was just a dream. It ends up being real. So he goes to where the people are gathered for prayer. Uh, John Mark's uh, uh, family's home, and he knocks on the door, and a servant girl by the name of Rhoda goes, and she hears Peter outside, and in her joy, she doesn't open the gate, but she, she runs to tell the others that Peter was standing at the gate. And then verse 15, here's their great faith response. They said to her, you are out of your mind. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Sure, Peter's there. You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. Now, now please watch this. God answered their earnest prayer. Peter was miraculously released, but it wasn't because their faith was so perfect, right? I mean, you you have to admit, when you read this text, it, it always brings kind of a smile to my face because this group of gathered prayers was hardly an example of doubt free expectant faith, right? I mean, these guys were not the poster child for naming and claiming, right? I mean, they're, they're praying, but it sounds like they're thinking, you know, Herod killed James. This is probably going to end up the same way, but we're going to pray. It's not because they just knew in the core of their being this was going to happen. They were crying out 
but they were surprised when God answered. And sometimes that happens to us in prayer, right? Sometimes God says yes, even when our faith is less than stellar. Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages the heck out of me. Because <laughs> my faith doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> it just has to keep showing up. <laughs> Their faith was far less than what many would describe as stellar. And yet God said yes. But there's a parallel truth. Sometimes God says no, despite our confident expectations. Despite the fact that we're kind of sure. We're, we're sure in our mind. We're, we're sure in our head. Yes, God is going to say yes. Sometimes God says no. And please hear me. When God says no, it's always because he has a greater yes. When God says no, it's because he always has a greater yes. I'm not always going to see that, certainly immediately. I may not always understand that, particularly this side of eternity. But I come back to remember that he has a, a greater perspective than I do. That he has a, a, a better plan. That he has a, a greater purpose than what I may be totally privy to. Check out the book of Job sometime. But I come back and say, God, I'm going to need to come to that point where I, even when I hear a no, I know that behind a no is a greater yes. A greater yes. Second scripture I want to lay alongside this as we wrestle with this, this question of, of is there a deficiency in my faith when I, when I get a no. Daniel chapter 3, the fiery furnace. Some of you, if you grew up in church, maybe you remember this uh, uh, from, from uh, lessons along the way. Uh, let me set the, the table by way of reminder. The Hebrew people are in captivity in a foreign land. As they're there, some of them are in service. Uh, they're, they're, they're given some opportunities uh, to serve within the government. The king at the time, King Nebuchadnezzar, sets up this uh, incredible ego monument to himself. And his command is that everybody should worship this. When the music strikes up, everybody bows down and worship. Well, obviously, to a good Hebrew that's going to be obedient to God, they're not going to do that. And so these three young men are faced with this dilemma. Do they kind of go along to get along, or do they stay true to God? And the word gets out that they're not bowing down. They're not playing along. And so they're hauled before the king, and he explains to them ever so clearly, if you don't do this, when the music starts, if you don't do this, I am going to toss you into this furnace. It is not going to end well for you. Do you understand? They understood, but their response is classic, classic faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. Now, if they had just stopped there, they would have been the poster child for word of faith. <laughs> they would have been the poster child for name it and claim it. Work up your, your powerful faith in God and kind of command what God can do. 
But they didn't stop there. But if not, that's exactly what some folks say you should never, ever pray. Because that evidences a lack of faith. You're being weenie. You're giving God an out. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And the rest of the story is God, in this case, chose. He chose to rescue. But they didn't know that for sure. They knew he was absolutely able, no doubt in their mind. They didn't know for sure whether he would or not. But they were going to remain faithful. You see, faith is trusting God enough to do what he says, no matter how we feel or how certain we are of how things will turn out. Now, I want you to chew on that for just a moment. Faith is trusting God enough to do what he says, or in this case, to not do what he says not to do, no matter how we feel or how certain we are of how things will turn out. It's not, God, I'm going to do this, and what I know is if I do this, it'll always turn out this way. No. God, I trust you enough to do what you say to do, regardless if I'm feeling bold and courageous or trembling and fearful, trusting you enough to do what you say, even if I'm not certain how things will turn out. Faith, in the end, is not measured by our feelings or our mental imagery, but by our obedience. Did I trust God enough to do what he said I should do? Regardless of the outcome, regardless of my feelings, did I trust him enough to do? Now, at this point, some of us, when we get into these faith discussions, talk about, well, it's because I don't have enough faith. Well, interestingly enough, Jesus spoke into that. In Luke's gospel, he's teaching, and he's teaching there in chapter 17 uh, about forgiveness and forgiving over and over again. And the, the, the disciples are hearing this, and they're thinking, this, this is beyond what we've ever heard before, what we've been taught before. This, I, I don't have the capacity to forgive like that. And so they cry out to the Lord, increase our faith. We don't have enough faith to do this. But notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't give them three easy steps to increase your faith. He doesn't say, well, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to go to get more faith. He actually says, you got enough. If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, it would have been the smallest seed that they would have like commonly been even aware of. A saying of smallness. You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. You don't need somebody to back up and deliver a truckload of faith to you. If you have mustard seed faith, enough faith to do what God says to do, regardless of what you feel, or regardless of how certain you are of the outcome, 
then all sorts of things become possible. Let me try to illustrate it this way. I was on a plane a few weeks ago, and many of you travel uh, much more than I do. But, but, but one of the things I have noticed through the years is when you're in an airport, when you're getting on a plane, you can tell folks that do this regularly and folks that don't, right? You can tell the folks that they've done this all the time, and I'm looking at many of you, and you do that almost every week of your life. And, and you know, they're, they're, they just got their sister. They're cool. They're not even thinking about things. They're not paying. They're just going through. And then there are those folks that it's like, you know, this is their first time on a plane, and they are scared to death, right? You've been there, you know, you're kind of hoping, oh, don't let them get the seat beside me because they'll like grab and crush my hand or something if something happens, right? So, you know, you're taking off, starting to climb, and the landing gear goes, <gasps> you hit a little bit of turbulence, <gasps> scared to death. And they don't have a lot of confidence, right? They don't have a lot of faith. Well, let me ask you this. Do they get to their destination? They get to their destination just the same as the man or the woman who has done this a hundred times every year and they don't hardly think about it. It's not because they had such great faith in the construction of the plane and the pilot and they were so certain of the outcome. Now, they had just enough faith to get their fanny on the plane, right? You get just enough to get on the plane, you get you from A to B. By the way, if the plane goes down, it didn't matter how confident you were that you were going to get there, right? It's not faith in faith. That's not the object. The faith is in God. It's in his character. It's in his wisdom. It's in his power. It's in his timing. And faith doesn't have to be this gargantuan thing. It has to be enough that I'll do what God says, regardless of whether I feel like it or regardless of how certain I am of the outcome. Hear me clearly. With faith, I am convinced to the core of my being. I believe every one of these promises in Scripture about prayer is absolutely true. With faith, all things are possible because there is no limits on what God can do. But I also understand only within the sovereign and sometimes mysterious will of God. My faith is not in my faith. My faith is not in the slickness of my prayers. My faith is not in my knowledge, but my faith is in the character of God. And that character of God and the ways of God, I don't always understand. But I trust Him. And and very often what happens to us on our faith journey, we kind of go through stages. And I've shared with some of you before, uh, when I think about kind of life and and even faith, I, I think about a calculus professor I had in college. And he was not like native born to the United States. And so he had a very thick accent, you know, very, very distinctive and just, just loved him. And, and he, he, one of the things he would say, he'd say, you come in and you know nothing about calculus and you think you're never going to learn calculus. 
And then you learn a little bit about calculus. And you begin to think to yourself, I know everything there is to know about calculus. And then you learn a little bit more, and you think, I know nothing about calculus, right? (laughs) And I have looked back on that and said, dude, (laughs) he was right. He was not just right about calculus. He was right about life. You know, what happens very often when we're a young Christian, God is so patient, so kind, so gentle with us. And sometimes we begin to, we're kind of taking some of those initial steps and walks of faith, and it's just like, whoa, this is so easy. We kind of look, how could you be a Christian 20, 30, 40 years and not get this? And then God puts us in a situation and says, grow up. And you begin to think, I know nothing about faith. But as you continue to walk with that mustard seed faith that says, I will do what God says to do regardless of how I feel and regardless of how certain I am of the outcome, I'm going to trust him enough to do what he says. When you keep stepping forward with that mustard seed faith, You learn more and more about yourself, about the world, about the reality of God. And you see God do powerful things in answer to prayer. But it's not always a yes. So what do I do? What do I do when God says no? What do I do? I want to give you three big thoughts, and I hope this will be helpful to you this morning. The first is trust. When God says no, trust that God does everything in goodness and in love. Psalm 25 says, all the paths, notice the word all, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Oh, that who our God is, he always operates out of steadfast love and faithfulness. Uh, The New Testament promises so many of us have have clung to, particularly when we don't understand, is Romans 8, 28. And we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Listen, I don't have to understand the answer to know that it's motivated by goodness and love. I I don't have to understand why yes here and why no here, why wait slow, why grow. I, I don't have to fully understand that to know that behind that answer, whatever that answer is, is God's goodness and God's love. And when I encounter a no, I have to come back to focus and trust that everything that God does, he does in goodness and in love. When it comes down to it, we all have three basic choices when God says no. When God says no, we can resist it. We can resist it. We we can kind of rebel against it and say, God, I I don't don't like it. It's not fair. I'm going to take up my ball and I'm going to go home. I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to serve you. I'm going to try to get what I want when I want it another way. And we can resist it. 
Or, or we could resent it. You could say, well, God, I, I'm going to kind of hang in there with you, but man, I, I, I just resent it. And just kind of let this bitterness take root in my life. And it begins to kind of seep out and poison the other areas of my life. And I live with kind of a low-grade misery as I'm living with resentment. And I've met a lot of Christians who get stuck in resentment. Or you can choose to rest in Him. To rest in Him. God, I don't understand it. God, I, I don't understand how this is good but I understand that you are good. And so I will choose to trust that everything you do, you do in goodness and in love. Secondly, when God says no, pray. Pray what Jesus prayed facing the cross. The gospels record for us this this agony of prayer in the garden of Gethsemane as as Jesus was beginning to to experience and feel the the weight of what was to come, not so much the the physical suffering, but that that cup of, of God's righteous and holy wrath against sin being poured out on him as the one who would stand in the gap and stand in our place. And he was beginning to get a taste of that and the horror of that everything in him began to to just shudder and withdraw from that. And he cries out in a a passionate prayer. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will but what you will. Now notice what Jesus did. I think it's a pattern for us. He started by affirming God's power. By affirming God's power, all things are possible with you. Everything. There is no limits to the power of God. And I come and I, I want to start there. I want to start and just affirm the, the greatness and the power of God. March 18th was my dad's birthday. He would have been 83 years old today had he lived. He passed away from cancer at the age of 59. We were living in the Midwest at the time and My mom called and said it looked like the days were numbered. So I canceled some trips and other things I had and quickly made my way back to Virginia where they lived. And I got to be there for the last couple days with my dad. And I can remember one night, and some of you, you've walked this road, you know how exhausting those days are. Gone up to the bedroom upstairs in their house. Just tired. Just going to try to catch a couple hours of sleep and do it all again. And I remember just getting down on my knees by the bed that night. 
and just praying to God again. And I remember just, I really didn't think about it in these terms. It's just how I prayed. I prayed, God, Father, I know. I know you could heal my dad in a second. I know that you could touch his body and all that cancer would be gone. God, I, I, there's not a doubt in my mind that you can do that. But Lord, if you choose not to do that, then I would just ask, would you please take him quickly so he doesn't have to suffer anymore? Slept for a few hours, got up, leaned up, went downstairs. And got to, to be there by my dad's bedside, holding his hand as he went to be with the Lord. You cry out to God, and the starting place is to affirm God's power. To affirm God's power. But notice what else Jesus did here. He asked with passion. He asked with passion. He asked for the Father to remove this cup from me. If you look at the other gospel writers, they, they fill in some of the, the details here. That his prayer was so impassioned that, that he actually, as his body was responding to it and, and his sweat was beginning to be mingled with blood because of the intensity of his crying out. Listen, when, when we understand that God sometimes says no, that doesn't mean offer up mamby-pamby prayers, right? I mean, Jesus is crying out with passion. This is not, now I lay me down to sleep. Right? This, is not, this is not, you know, the Lord bless the food we're about to eat. He is crying out. He is, he is facing what, he is starting to get those glimpses of, of just the reality, really, of hell. Just that, that, that punishment, that wrath of God against sin. It's something he's never known. And he's crying out with passion, remove this cup from me. Listen, I hope if nothing else in this series, you are encouraged to ask. Ask boldly. Ask with passion. But he didn't stop there. He also accepted God's plan. (laughs) Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Sometimes I shake my head in humor and sometimes in disgust at those who say you should never put something like that on the end of your prayers because that demonstrates a lack of faith, if it be your will. I think I'm going to go with Jesus on this one instead of some televangelist. How about you? Cry out with passion. Start with the greatness of God. But faith is trusting him enough to do what he says regardless of how you feel regardless of how certain you are of the outcome and so God I I trust you enough I'm going to passionately lay this out because you're my daddy but I'm going to accept your plan you trust that God does everything that he does in goodness and love you pray what Jesus prayed facing the cross and then thirdly expect God to give his grace 
to handle his answer. Expect God to give his grace to handle whatever that answer is. Whether it's yes, whether it's no, whether it's slow, whether it's grow. Expect God to give his grace to handle this answer. Paul knew the power of prayer. Paul wrote so much of what we've looked at when it comes to prayer. Paul saw God move powerfully in and through his life. But Paul also experienced the reality that a loving, good wise, powerful God sometimes says no. He cried out to God passionately to remove a thorn from the flesh. And he wrote about that to the Corinthians three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What do you do when God says no? You pray like Jesus prayed. You trust that every one of God's answers is motivated by goodness and love. And you confidently expect that God will give you his grace to handle whatever his answer is. That's biblical faith. That's a faith that God honors. That's the faith that connects us to God. One more scripture. But this I call to mind. It's a good thing to call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I know this message is not academic for some of you. Some of you are crying out to God passionately for something right now. And so far, it's been a not yet. That, that healing hasn't come. That relationship hasn't gotten better. That door hasn't opened. That pain hasn't gone away. That person hasn't repented. It's a, it's a not yet. And in those moments, you, you come back to these same truths and say, God, I don't understand it. I don't understand your timing. I don't understand why you haven't said yes yet. For some of you, it's not a not yet. You already know it's a no. That person never changed. That person was never healed. For some of you, 
there's a divorce you didn't want. You didn't ask for it. You didn't seek it. You resisted it. You prayed against it. And yet it went through. Hear me today. It may be the close of a chapter, but it's not the end of the story. When God has said no, it might be the close of a chapter, but it is not the end of your story. God is not finished with you yet. He is not finished with his story or your place in his story. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new chapter, new beginning. Great, O God, is your faithfulness. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father. You know where every one of us is at this morning. You know where we are crying out to you passionately. You know areas where we have grown weary and discouraged. You know our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our anxieties. Father, you are greater than all of these things. You are active in all of these things. And Father, I just pray right now. Lord, I just ask, would you, would you just take these moments as we open ourselves before you, and would you speak to us? Would you speak to us about what authentic faith looks like? Would you speak to us about your character? Would you speak to us about your trustworthiness and your love? Lord, would you just today remind us that we don't need to go out and find a truckload of faith. We just need to take the mustard seed that we have and trust you enough to do what you say to do. I'm just going to invite you to take just a couple moments in this setting to just sit before the Lord.